A microscopic virus has changed the world. Life as we knew it may never be the same. That's stunning. Just a few weeks ago, we watched in horror, much like a train wreck, the statistics that were unprecedented fatalities from this unmedicatable, seemingly treatment-resistant disease that we didn't know how for sure it was transmitted, how it was spread. And not just fear, panic gripped our hearts and still does in many circles. Fanned by the flame of the media, the sensationalism, we were riveted to watching those numbers escalate every single night. And we were hoping and praying the proverbial curve will flatten, right? And we were without hope. We saw this spread from country to country all around the world. And, and the helplessness, the sheer panic of what can we do absolutely paralyzed us emotionally, mentally, even spiritually. This is the first time I've been in church since February. <laughs> I live in Virginia, and um, our <clears throat> esteemed governor, <clears throat> sorry, has uh, yet to open up churches, um, much like in California. I, Pastor Carl, I, I love this one pastor. I've not met him yet, but he decided since the governor there will not allow churches to open up, he decided to have church meet in the automotive department at Walmart on Sunday mornings. Like, yes, I like that guy. <laughs> but we have perhaps never as people experienced a greater collective sense of helplessness. We have never been more acutely aware of our creatureliness, our dependence on the fact that we are vulnerable. And particularly as, as Americans, we detest that. We abhor that. We're independent. We're tough. We're strong. We're resolute. We're self-sufficient. And yet, our country stopped. Tens of millions of people lost their jobs. The stock market tanked. With it, most people's retirements evaporated in days. The futility and frustration of that is overwhelming. Children became homeschooled. People who had worked their whole life, maybe even multi-generationally for a business or a service or a profession, lost everything with no realistic hope of ever recovering. High school, college, and professional sports, gone. Graduations, gone. People who had worked their whole life for a college scholarship, gone. And very tragically, people who had the disease died alone. The grief, people, that our world, our country, is experiencing is unprecedented in our lifetime. Don't raise your hands, but how many people like to do grief? Yeah, you're just, okay, not a lot of masochistic people in here. That's good. It's horrible, and it's overwhelming. And so the ubiquitous question is, what do we do? How do we cope? How, how can we adapt, adjust? Think of the terms and the words that were not a part of our everyday nomenclature until just a few weeks ago. Pandemic. Flatten the curve. Never heard that phrase before. I, I hadn't. 
Social distancing. I'll come back to that one. Hate it. <clears throat> um, masks. Six feet apart. Hats with pool tubes, floaters on. I mean, our world has changed. And so, how do we as the church respond? Do we passively react? Or do we proactively lead? Okay, let, let me say that again. <clears throat> do we passively react? Or do we proactively lead? Lead, okay, three people, all right. I, I'm not shy, so, you know, this, I love when I speak it to be interactive, okay? So, go, go right ahead, all right? All right, that's good, that's good. And, and um, I, I remember as a 16-year-old, a smart aleck 16-year-old, which, of course, is redundant, I, a, a preacher that I had heard frequently in our church had this saying, and if I'm pasting, if, if I'm pasting on toes, that's when you get your ting tangled up. I got up at three this morning to get here, so forgive me. But um, if I'm stepping on toes, Pastor Carl, I'm sorry. But he would say, can you say amen? And I'd go, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm fine with audience participation. Please, I welcome it. I, I want it to be engaging. And so that's our question, because we're left with this fear that is gripping our hearts, and it is devastating. And here's the, here's the issue, folks. We all have post-traumatic stress disorder. We do. And it's a real thing. And so tonight, we're going to take a look at how we can, we can adjust and adapt and cope with dealing with the grief and the losses that are tangible and intangible. Look at the other losses that are intangible. Losses of freedoms. Losses of constitutional rights. How do you feel about those? Thank you. Yeah. I mean, in just days, boom, 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 we are no longer America. But this is for the greater good. This is so, and it's like, well, you know, yeah, we get that. And yet... How do we, as the church, respond? Not react, but respond proactively. I love the church. I've been a part of the church my whole life. I was carried to church on a pillow when I was less than a week old. And up until this spring, I had never missed more than a handful of <laughs> services my entire life. Um, I was blessed with an incredibly healthy immune system, uh, in 22 years of school, I missed this many days. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like there's two kinds of people, those who have ulcers and headaches and those who give them. <laughs> I've always thought it's more blessed to give than receive. So anyway, I love the church. And we need to be part of the solution. All right? Actually, we need to lead in solutions. But yet... We're the church, and, and we know we're not perfect. Um, and so I want to take a light, brief look at some bulletin bloopers. Okay? These are real. They've got to be. I found them on the Internet. So they must be true. Um, but this is a way we can, you know, be a little humble and laugh at ourselves. One of my favorites, you know, the, the, the bulletin blooper says, Don't let worry, stress, fear, and anxiety kill you. Let the church help. Kind of like that roast line. I honestly can't recommend this person too highly. And you take that a couple of different ways. Thursday night, such and such church will have our annual potluck supper, prayer and medication to follow. <laughs> Another bulletin statement. Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and community. Typos can be brutal, folks. I'm just saying. The low self-esteem support group will meet on Thursday evening. Please use the rear entrance. <laughs> don't, don't do it that way. I'm just saying. I'm just... <laughs> and in that same vein, Weight Watchers group will meet at 7 p.m. at First Presbyterian Church. Please use the large double doors at the side entrance. <laughs> 
Nobody edited that. That editor, editing is a great ministry. <clears throat> Mrs. Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be speaking tonight at Calvary Methodist. Come here, Bertha Belch, all the way from Africa. <laughs> you saw that one coming, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> the cost for attending the prayer and fasting conference includes meals. Due to pastor's recent illness, Wednesday's healing services will be discontinued until further notice. And my favorite. <laughs> An announcement was in the bulletin after another pastor's recent recovery from his illness, and it said, God is good. Pastor Hargraves is better. Okay, I want us to take a look at five principles that I believe we can derive from Scripture that will help us cope, not just with COVID, but with any crisis or catastrophe that comes our way, because we live in a fallen world. And so I want, um, I, I, I want us to unpack these. Uh, you're welcome to take notes, and, and for those of you online as well, I'll be happy to email the slides if you would like them um, so that you can, you know, listen. Some people gather information and synthesize it more effectively by writing as, as they listen, some not. So um, if you like, I can um, go ahead and have that emailed to you as well, so your preference. But when we take a look at, at these coping skills, um, if we could have that first slide, please, then, you know, we're, we're going to take a look at how it is we, we deal with this adversity. The first, they're, they're, I'm a preacher, so you've got to have, you know, alliteration, but you normally just have three points. I've got five, so I'm not sure what that says about me. You can kind of, you know, fill in your own gaps there, but... The first S word we're going to take a look at tonight is we need to draw from our spiritual resources. Our sense of spirituality is the core of our being. We're created in the image and likeness of God, the, the imago dei. We are created in God's image and likeness. Um, and, and so I find it fascinating. Ironically, in Mandarin, isn't that a kick? Um, the word for crisis is very, very unique. Mandarin is a language that doesn't have an alphabet. It has word pictures. And they don't have a discrete singular word picture for the term crisis. Rather, they combine the word picture for danger. We get that in a crisis. But you know what? They link it with the word picture for opportunity. The truth is, see, implicit in every crisis is an opportunity. Now, when fear grips our hearts, we don't see it. When panic overwhelms our soul, we don't see it. When desperation and hysteria disables us, we don't see the opportunity. But folks, there's opportunity. God is either greater than this thing or we need a bigger God. There's not a third option. Right? So there's an opportunity. And that's what I want us to think about. And I want you to be creative. I believe the creator created his creatures to be creative. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but I believe that. And so what are the ministry opportunities you have to reach out to other people who are hurting, who are grieving, who have post-traumatic stress? How can you share? How can you lead? How can you love? How can you lead others to Jesus to give them hope and meaning and purpose? All right? So that's where I want us to begin is, is our sense of spirituality. And then I, I want us to take a look at the fact that um, how, how many of you are familiar with the book of Habakkuk? I know how to spell it. I just don't want to stop. Um, kind of like banana, B-A-N-A-N-A-N-A. -A -A -A. I just don't know when to stop. The book of Habakkuk, um, go ahead and turn right there real quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's right after second whale before first confusions. All right. Verse 17 of chapter 3 ends up this little book. I mean, shucks, I never thought about this till now, but just think about the self-esteem implications of being called a minor prophet. 
You know, these guys are like the Rodney Dangerfield of Scripture. They're not a major prophet like Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. Oh, well, just, just, a, just a fleeting thought. You didn't have to stay there. All right. I'm silly in case you missed that. Okay. This is an amazing statement because here's what the prophet says. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. All right, what, what's, what's he saying here? What do we got so far? There's no fruit, there's no vegetables, there's no grain, there's no meat. What are we left with? Not even tofu. <laughs> they, in an agrarian culture, are facing utter and complete and certain starvation. A horrible way to die. But you want to talk about futility. You want to talk about helplessness. You want to talk about panic. You want to talk about, and of course we don't want to talk about that stuff. We hate that stuff. But if we were going to talk about that stuff, this is a dire, drastic, desperate situation. Would you agree? No food. So what's he do? Ah, well, not really. Yet. Love that word. I will. What? Rejoice in the Lord. What's this guy, just masochistic or just doesn't get it? I don't get, you know. I will rejoice in the Lord. And I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Not the grocery store. Okay? He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music. That's a song. That's like a psalm, right? Habakkuk wrote this psalm to cope with this drastic, dire, desperate sense of starvation where there was this utter famine. Folks, our response should be worship. Brain science points out the fascinating fact that it is impossible to worry and worship at the same time. Can't do it. Which would you prefer? See, Matthew 7 says, there's just, Jesus only had one thing to say about worry, don't. Didn't elaborate, didn't editorialize, just don't. Okay? Worship. And that's, that's what we're, we need to do. And so, marshalling our spiritual resources, when we worship, our focus becomes where? Eternal or temporal? Here or there? See, it focuses, it's not denial. See, he just itemized. No fruit, no vegetables, no grain, no meat. He's not in denial, folks. Unfortunately, sometimes religious people, I won't say Christians, because Christ never was in denial. Religious people sometimes are in denial. They don't look at reality accurately. No, he's looking correctly and clearly at reality. He is going to die. That's what he believes. Yet, I will worship. Folks, that, that'll preach. That's good stuff. That'll work on like Thursdays and Mondays. Actually, that'll work on all the days that end in Y. All right? So I wanted to give you that, that sense of spirituality. And then there's an illustration. There was a fascinating man who was a, a neurologist and a psychiatrist that toward the end of World War II was captured by the Nazis. He was an Austrian, and he had helped thousands of people deal with the trauma that they were experiencing at the hands of the Nazis, and they found him. He was Jewish, and they put him in a prison camp. He was the only survivor of that camp, and they put him in another one. He was the only survivor of that camp, and so they put him in another one, and he was the only survivor. Are you noticing a theme here? The fourth prison camp in which Viktor Frankl was placed was Auschwitz, which had the reputation of being the most notorious, diabolic, torture, 
center the world had ever known. And he was about to die as the war ended, but he survived. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he said it was his faith that helped him survive. And see, the Nazis knew that he was a psychiatrist, so they tortured him like exponentially more than anyone else. But here's how he coped. He said, the Nazis could control everything about me. They could beat me. They could starve me. They could deprive me. They could humiliate me. They could torture me, and they did. But he goes, there's one thing they cannot control, my will. See, our will is the part of us, I believe, that is most like God. Our will reflects the image and nature and characteristics of God when we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives as we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, as that's progressively developed, our will is given over to God. See, it's in the garden where Jesus prays, hey, I don't want to do this. I'm not interested in this. I'd like to find out any other way to negotiate, but not what I want to do, but what you want to do. It's his will that was the hardest part of him to yield, I believe, to the Father. And he was on a mission his whole life. He knew what his objective was. And yet that last night, the stress was so great that his capillaries burst and blood was secreted from his pores. That's stress, folks. There's a like eight-syllable word, a medical term that describes that rare phenomenon which that does happen under severe stress. It's our will. And so Viktor Frankl said... The Nazis cannot control how I choose to respond to what they do to me. They can do anything they want, but they can't control my response. So folks, for those of you that are right-hand dominant, I want you to extend your right hand. For those of you that are left-hand dominant, obviously the other. And I want you to reach around to the back of your neck, and I want you to grab the collar of, and, and do this. Okay? That's how you do this. It's self-control, which is the ninth fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 3. Some commentators believe that's a progressively developed process. So, you know, you can start working on self-control right after love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness are fully developed in you. Hip, hip. I claim that promise. Glory. <clears throat> but folks, this is real. This works. This is practical. The Nazis could not control how he responded. He never let them get to him. Isn't that powerful? There's nothing more powerful humanly than our spiritual identity. Nothing. No one can take that from us. No one, nothing, no circumstance, certain starvation, torture in prison camps. Folks, our spiritual identity is rooted and grounded in Christ. And that works. The second S word that I want us to consider tonight has to do with the next slide, please. Um, has to do with self-care. And there are three areas in which I want us to consider self-care. Um, and ironically, these are ones that correspond to the Spirit, Son, and Father, respectively. See, in terms of self-care, we have to take care of our body. And our body is a three-legged stool. And unfortunately, there are a lot of Christ followers who don't respect and honor and care for their body in the way that they need to. And that's not a guilt trip, folks. It's an encouragement. We can't redo last Saturday, okay? I'm not interested in invoking guilt or shame in any way, shape, or form. But I am interested in let's helping us get to where next Saturday we can do more better, okay? That's my whole goal. That's my purpose. That's how I roll. So we have to do three things. Diet, rest, exercise. We all know that, but we need to do that. You know, garbage in, garbage out. Um, junk in, junk. I mean, it's not healthy, the stuff that many folks put in their body, right? And particularly when we're, oh, another term we'd never heard or, or another phenomenon we'd never experienced is self-quarantine. Never in the history of the planet have healthy people been quarantined. Just saying. Ironic, huh? All right, so diet. A lot of times we get lazy because it's like, well, just eat junk food. It's easy, it's convenient, blah, blah, blah. Then rest. We've got to rest. 
our body needs to hit reset and get the batteries recharged. You know, burning out for Jesus is not biblical. Um, we, we need to rest. And then we need to exercise. Movement, it has been said, is medicine. And so that's crucial. We've got to exercise. The body's a machine. If you have a, a great Ferrari, which is like redundant, all right? Um, actually, what I want is a 2020 Corvette. It's better than a Ferrari at a tiny fraction of the price. I'm just, my goodness. If Google, it's amazing, okay? And I used to say, you know, that I would have sheet metal envy with that, but it's not sheet metal. It's fiberglass and carbon. So um, anyway, just kidding. Well, actually, that part's true. But Say you have a fancy sports car. <laughs> Sorry, rabbit trail. My wife would be, ah, honey, stop. Okay. If you don't take care of that, if you don't maintain it, what happens? It's not going to be running well forever, right? We've got to maintain this temple. And so diet, rest, and exercise. When we are experiencing stress, folks, seriously, all three of those break down naturalistically. Our food doesn't metabolize properly under high stress. We tend to not rest well or we sleep too much when we're depressed. We don't sleep enough if we have an agitated depression. We sleep too, sleep too much if we have a vegetative depression. And then exercise, we can become all the way from addicted to the endorphins to being just, you know, sedentary, which, by the way, makes you clinically depressed if you don't move, all right? So diet, rest, and exercise are not optional. If we want to be healthy, if we want to be whole, that's a three-legged stool. You can do two of those in balance, but it's kind of precarious. I recommend all three. It's more stable, okay? Then mentally... The Bible says we need to have the mind of Christ. Okay, how does that work? How do you get there from here? What does that look like? What's all involved in that? What are the nuts and bolts of that process? Well, to begin with, it's tough to have the mind of Christ when we're saturated by media hysteria and blue light from electronics. Because blue light from electronics on a prolonged basis, scientific fact, folks, does Dane Bramage. See what I mean? I'm serious. It really does harm our neurological functionality. Folks, it's a real thing. And it's, it's the blue light from electronics. It's not good. But being saturated by the, the messages of contentiousness and sociopolitical carnage, the warfare out there is, I mean, our culture's lost our mind and our soul and our heart. And getting wrapped up in that, you cannot help but get mentally agitated and emotionally stirred, right? They're, click off. You, you can't have the peace of Christ rule your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus when that stuff is, is going on continually. Then we need to practice Philippians 4.8, secondly. You know, we need to think about good stuff. Again, is that denial? No. No, but we need to focus and train and discipline our mind to think about this stuff that's good. You know, one, one person I heard years ago as, as a graduate student said, consider Philippians 4.8 as a mental filing cabinet. If something's pure, stick it in that file. If something's lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, etc., etc., And if it's not, it doesn't fit any of those categories, stick it in the round file. For those of you millennials, that's a euphemism for a trash can. Okay, so Philippians 4, think about the good stuff. It's a discipline of the mind to think about the things that are good. Do you know the context in which Paul writes that most upbeat letter in the entire Bible and that most upbeat concept and principle in the entire Bible? He's sitting in a Roman dungeon in his own raw sewage with furry critters running around as he dictates that through the air vent to his disciple Timothy while he's waiting for his head to get chopped off. That's a blessing. Folks, that's when and how and why he wrote Philippians. And he says, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice right before that. He's thinking about good stuff in the most desperate, horrible predicament we could imagine humanly, right? Folks, this is either real or it isn't. We either play church and go home and, you know, have our lives unfulfilled and, and meaningless, or we can understand what Scripture says, internalize it, live it, and apply it. All right? 
Philippians 4, 8 it. Okay? Then the third thing is to take every thought captive. Again, is it going to control you or are you going to control it? Are you going to let those Nazis horribly abuse you or are you going to resist them controlling your responses, right? Taking a thought captive means you don't react. Here's the deal. Whenever I react, who's controlling me? The other person. When I respond, who's controlling me? I am by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not something I can do on my own. And so to take a thought captive means, you know, uh, you know, we're going to arrest that thought. We're going to keep it right there. It's not going to destroy us. It's not going to harm us. So that's crucial. So we have to use the resources of our spirituality, the resources of, of our self-care. The third of those self-care is emotional. We must understand and realize and internalize that the Father loves us. There's nothing more emotionally healing than the realization that God really loves you. How great is the love of the Father that he has lavished on us, John says in his first epistle, that we are his kids. Folks, this is like real exciting. I am amazed here in Central Florida at your incredible maturity and self-restraint because, you know, you could like get excited about that if you like. I'm just saying all right? Uh, the Father loves you. This is, this is awesome. And so when we're dealing with post-traumatic stress dynamics and horribly adverse circumstances, we need to acknowledge and validate that those are our feelings. We're hurting. We are. It's reality. Don't lie about it. Don't deny it. Don't shove it under the rug. You know, a lot of dysfunctional family systems shove stuff under the rug and they get sprained ankles because the carpet's pretty lumpy after a while, okay? Not healthy. Acknowledge and validate your feelings. Then process your feelings. We need to find non-destructive vents. Yesterday, to two of my clients, I recommended punching bags. And I, I said to one of the guys, I said, you know, one of the few regrets in life is, and, and thank you for your kindness about a couple of decades, um, it's like more than twice that. But I, I started um, working with folks professionally in 1977, and um, I said, one of the few regrets I have in life is not having bought stock in the Everlast company many years ago, because I've made them zillions of dollars, right? Because, hey, Ephesians 4.26 quote Psalm 4-4, which says, in your anger, don't sin. And then Paul adds, don't, as it were, let the sun go down in your wrath. Process your feelings. But you have to acknowledge them. He's not saying anger is a sin. He's saying don't. You, you can do that real easily when you're mad, but don't. And so, uh, to, to me, there are three simple guidelines about being able to vent our feelings because our feelings will have us if we don't have them. All right? Feelings are neither good nor bad. It's what we do with them. Feelings are like raw energy, like fire. Fire in a physics sense is of moral. It's neither good nor bad. It's whether or not it's in control. All right? Fire is raw energy. It can be used for great good or horrible evil. It can be very destructive or it can be very productive. Civilization itself would not have been able to be developed without the discovery of fire. Cultural anthropologists inform us. Okay? So that's what emotions are like. When you get fired up, there's emotion. And it's neither good nor bad. It's what we do with it. God's very emotional. Jesus was very emotional. He just didn't sin a lot. Well, actually any, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> so venting our feelings, three simple guidelines. Don't hurt you. Punching out a brick wall, not a good plan. Punching out people much larger than you, not a good plan. Second guideline, don't hurt anybody else. We probably do more damage with this than with this, Right? Character assassination. Yeah, we can kill people with our words. And the third guideline is don't hurt anything else. A lot of dogs get kicked, sheetrock punched out, hollow core doors kicked in, dishes broken. Anything you can do that doesn't hurt you or anyone or anything, I'm good with. I've tried for years in my diabolically perverse nature to figure out an exception if I can possibly sin, and I have yet to find that. Now, it, you may be able to. Uh, you're a high achiever, if so. I haven't been able to figure out a way to sin with those three conditions, okay? Those will work for you. So, vent. And then thirdly, find a safe, confidential person that you can trust to share your heart with. I'm so grateful for your ministry here of counseling and, and pastors for your vision for that. This is so valuable. So, 
take care of ourselves physically, mentally, and emotionally, all right? The third S word I want us to consider um, that I think is so important is, is structure. When we're under stress, we need structure because the props have been knocked out from under us. When people aren't functioning well, we give them structure in an inpatient treatment facility. They don't have to think. They have structure. Their day is organized. Boot camp is highly structured. It builds discipline. It builds character. Structure is good for us. In this COVID crisis, there's been no structure. All of the boundaries got wiped away. I, I've worked with so many parents by telehealth at first that, you know, their kids aren't going to bed till three playing video games. And it's like, no, we need structure because there needs to be security. Particularly children respond best by having sameness. Why? Because it's predictable. If it's predictable, it's safe and they can feel re reliable on that, right? Structure provides all kinds of strengths for us. And, and so we need that. Um, we need routine. When we have no routine, it's easy to get depressed. It's easy to let boredom take over. And so what structure does, that routine provides three things. It provides stability, sameness, and security. Okay? We can provide structure for ourselves. And, you know, effective homeschool parents know how to do that. But everybody had to be a homeschool parent with this thing. Um, and so children especially need regular bedtimes, regular meal times. Eat together as a family at the table, not at the altar of the television. Do you know the research, the number one variable that differentiates healthy family systems from unhealthy family systems and successful children from unsuccessful children? Whether or not they had regular meal times together as a family. That's it. Folks, that's not rocket surgery. Rocket science, brain surgery, whatever. Put them together. It's not hard. It's structure. Oh, you're being rigid. Well, you can make it rigid, and that's not healthy. We need to be flexible. But structure is like the bone, okay? We need muscle and, you know, skin. But a body without bone would not be good. Bone is the structure. That analogy, take that and apply it. Make sense? Okay, fourth thing we need is socialization. We need other people. I had a client. I can't take credit for this. Um, because I'd probably be tempted to brag about it if I did. God's so faithful. He, he loves me so much. It's awesome. But there's this really cool statement I would like to consider we more descriptively utilize than social distancing. How about physical distancing? A client came up with that. I love it. It's brilliant. See, we need to not be distant socially because what does Genesis 2.18 says? It says it's not good for people to be alone. And, and social distancing, we're isolated. And you know what? We're grumpy. You know why? Research shows we need 12 hugs a day to maintain physical and emotional health. And that's not even if your love language is physical touch, then you need more. Folks, the human being needs 12 hugs a day to be healthy. Your immune system is boosted. Is that a big deal lately? Immune system? Oh, yeah, yeah. Check. That's a big one. With what? Hugs. The best thing you can do for immune system is to activate the brain chemicals of vasopressin, oxytocin, and a bunch of other big words that create these stimuli that say to the brain, oh, let's get healthy. Let's create, you know, strengths to ward off disease and feel-good hormones. It's like happy pills. Yeah, it's good stuff. Hugs, 12 a day. In a marriage seminar once, I was teaching this, and the guy in the back's going, one, two, three. Like, no, dude, you don't get it. it, it that's one. It, it's like for women, you know, and, and I, I wrote a book on marriage. We'll talk about that. But, you know, if you, a guy gives a dozen flowers, she counts that as one. It's just a left brain, right brain difference. So, anyway, we need socialization. People need to connect. And I know we can't, so we have to figure out some creative ways to do it. But here's the problem. Fear grabs us by the throat. I remember the first day I went out to Lowe's um, <laughs> to get something. I was walking down an aisle, and this guy was bending down, looking at a lower shelf, and our eyes met. He looked up at me, and I saw this panic in his eyes. 
because, you know, I was coming around and I, my heart went out to him because he was looking at me like I could kill him, you know? That's desperate. I'm, and I'm not, I was taking that fully seriously. So this is terrifying. So we have to be creative. Let's, let's use common sense. Let's practice safe principles. We need to do this well, but fear causes us instinctively to withdraw, to protect, to, to isolate ourselves. We pull back and pull in, in that turtle shell. And folks, that's lonely in there. More people are dying from other things than this illness. We've had a year's worth of suicides in the United States of America in two months. It used to be only 37 seconds a day someone would end their lives. It's, it's, it's gone up by a power of six because people are isolated. Divorce rates are through the charts. Domestic violence is off the charts. Child abuse is off the rails. Folks, this is killing us. We need each other. And we must figure out ways to reach out to one another in healthy ways to build relationships and bridges. And boy, have we seen this past week the need to build bridges relationally with people who don't look like us. Seriously? There's one race. It's the human race. Study anthropology. I... I won't go here long, just real briefly. I was blessed to be raised in a multi-ethnic, multi-multi-everything church. It was literally red, yellow, black, white. We had every variability. It was, a, it was a slice of heaven. It was a wonderful church. And I was privileged. My grandparents were missionaries to Native Americans when I was a kid. Um, my mom was a school teacher in an all-black inner-city school. She was one of three Caucasians in the building. She then led that district into creating uh, one of the first magnet schools in the United States of America. Uh, she turned the, the lowest performing school in the entire Midwest into an elite academy that kids were winning scholarships for um, nationwide. <laughs> Folks, let, let me just put it real simply. Racism is produced by discrimination. Discrimination is produced by prejudice. Prejudice is produced by ignorance, and ignorance is produced by fear. Let's reach out. Let's love people. That's what we're called to do. We're to make a difference. We're not put here to make a living. We're put here to make a difference. Hello. So we need to be creative. We need to virtually connect. We need to be able to reach out to other people who are lonely and needy. We need to build bridges instead of walls. We need to be intentional about nurturing our closest relationships. The divorce rate is, is heartbreaking. Folks, we need to have romantic times. Oh my goodness, this is just you and me, baby. But hey, when we don't like each other and we've got unresolved issues and conflict, make an appointment for counseling, work through it, and grow and heal and be blessed. God loves you. And finally, we, we need to look at strengthening. We all need to get stronger in our faith and in every way. We need to develop resilience. Real simple, there, there, there's an old story about two frogs, each of whom fell into a bucket of cream. The one panicked, and it's like, ah, and flailed out, drowned. The other frog was determined, and they paddled furiously, and kept paddling, and kept paddling, until they churned that cream into butter, which solidified, and they hopped out. Folks, that's real stuff. It's how we choose to respond. Do you want to be bitter or better? Do you want to be a victim or a victor? It's up to you. It depends on whether or not you choose to become resilient. Jesus was the most resilient person that ever walked on this planet. The toughest guy that ever lived. He made John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, Mr. T, Rambo, and Terminator look like a wimp. He was resilient. You look at the toughness he displayed. It's amazing. But then we need to develop courage. Joshua 1, 5 through 9, don't have time to read it. Three times in that passage, God is saying to his prophet, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, for I am with you. See, it's not in our own strength. God is with us. And then finally, develop Christ-like character. Do you know that faith cancels fear? There are only 365 times in the scripture that we're commanded not to be afraid. That's all. I, my wife and I have four sons. They're all taller than me now. And um, 
um, much better looking because they chose their mother very well. Um, but I was teaching them when they were a lot shorter about this principle that God is so present with us. Every day, he encourages us not to be afraid because he's with us. And so I finished the, the devotional, and one of them says, so what you're telling us, Dad, is that every fourth year on February 29th, we're on our own, right? That's my boy right there. Leap year, there's 366 days, only 365 in Scripture. Oh, pray for me. That's what I had to put up with um, as a dad. Faith cancels fear. And, and I know that in a group this size and for the, all of you watching at home and online, you need to have a faith. All of these principles, it's like, yeah, that sounds good, but you're not a Christ follower. And you need to become one. And you know, the good news is you can right now. And, and the way to do that is actually quite simple. We need to agree with the truth that we're not able to run our own lives effectively. And we need to invite him into our lives to be able to do that well. We all mess up. It's called sin. We all make mistakes. We all do things our own way instead of God's way. And that is not ever going to work for any of us. We all sin. We all mess up. And yet... The good news is simply this. God gives us strength, power, energy, and he will transform and redeem our lives. He will give us new lives. And so what we need to do is simply talk to him. The theological term for that is prayer. I don't want to make that mystical or magical. It's very practical. You just talk to God and say, hey, I'm serious about my life. It, it's a wreck and I need you to help me. And will you, will you forgive me? And will you give me the strength to live for you? And folks, when you do that, go ahead and text that number right now on the screen to folks here at Faith Assembly that love you. And they want to help you. They want to help you begin a new life in Christ. They will disciple you. They will come alongside you. They will care for you. And if you let them, they will build a relationship with you in ways that not only make the Bible alive and Christianity relevant in your life, but humanly speaking, you know, there are people here that will care for you and care with you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the wonderful ways in which you love us. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity to share with this wonderful group of your followers who love you. And Lord, we all need help. This is a desperate time. This is so challenging. It's so hard. It's so difficult. And I know I just skimmed over a few principles real quickly, but God, we need real help and real strength. And some people need you in their life. And Lord, I ask that you will let them know that you're present with them as they do. And we thank you in advance for the good things you're doing. In the precious and powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Pastor Carl. Praise God. Amen. Stand with us, please, everyone. So many, so many good points that um, come to mind and Habakkuk. What a great commentary on that verse. And um, when there's no fruit, no grain, no vegetables, no meat, and things are dire, what's the answer? I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. And um, thank God for that. And then, boy, the the physical distancing, you know, and should, um, that needing that many hugs, I don't know how we're going to pull that off, but it's, I guess, anything is possible. And um, that should cause families and couples to get closer instead of push each other away. My Lord, have mercy. Some of, maybe all of us got a whole lot of catching up to do after service, all right? So anyway, praise God. Listen, um, there is still out there, just because you may not, I may not, feel this fear or any fear at this point. Um, that doesn't mean there are a lot of people that are not in that category. And fear dispels, uh, or uh, faith dispels fear, thank God. And so let's walk in faith, amen. Listen, uh, tonight Pastor John's going to lead us in a chorus. And if you need prayer... These altar areas are, um, they're safe. 
It's a safe place, all right? So uh, these altar areas are open to you if you want to come and pray. My Lord God Almighty, we're not, we're, we're not going to let things and circumstances and culture change us from doing what is, what is essential in the kingdom and scriptural. And so uh, we're not going to let it. So God bless you. These altars are open. He's going to lead us in a chorus. And, and uh, listen, maybe your situation is not as dire as Habakkuk's, but maybe it is another way. So the answer is to rejoice. So maybe you didn't earlier. As he leads us, lift your hands with all your heart, soul, and mind. Worship. Amen. Then he's going to close us in prayer. These altars are open at that time. God bless you. Lead us, Pastor John. my heart. I love you with all my soul, Lord. I love you with all my strength. With all We're determined to do that. We're determined, Lord, to worship you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. Just like we've been reminded today, God, it's hard to worship. It's impossible to worship and worry at the same time. So I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that, that your presence would be wherever we are, God, encouraging us, helping us, Lord God, to lift up our worship and lay down our worry at your feet. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that each and every person under the sound of my voice, God, has drawn and would continue to draw closer to you, Lord. Even as we navigate the rest of this week and the rest of this season, I pray, God, that we would hear you speaking to our hearts, speaking to our situations, speaking to, to our minds and to our spirits, God, and guiding us into the life and into the light that you have for us as your children. I pray, Lord God, the peace that surpasses all understanding would guard the hearts and minds of these your children through Christ Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, for those that did make the decision for the first time today to follow you and to give you their lives, that, Lord God, they would realize and understand and walk in the fact that it's the greatest decision that they've ever made in their lifetime. Lord God, let this be the beginning of a great walk, Lord God, of purpose and power in you. And I pray, Lord God, that we would all see that continue to unfold as we follow you throughout the rest of this week. We love you and bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you, church. We love you so much. Don't forget that these altars are open to you if you would like to come and pray. Otherwise, we look forward to seeing you again very soon. God bless.